to Hitting Play, the podcast where we review, analyze, and discuss shows, movies, and other curiosities. I am Scott, and joining me for this episode are two people that have been crossing off the days until this episode, Kevin and Sarah. It's a lot of pressure. You better be good. And speaking of pressure, joining us is someone that's facing a lot of pressure tonight, co-hosting this episode from the great city of Melbourne, Australia. Please give it up for Hamish. That's right, it's me. <laughs> I'm not being paid for this at all. This is uh, it's me filling out the filling out the time. Okay, very good. Was that spectacular enough? That cost me two hundred dollars for the audience, for the music, everything. <laughs> oh my goodness! You all don't right. understand. Uh, well, guys, welcome back. <laughs> <laughs> Now, on September 15th, it was announced that the very first episode of Late Night with Conan O'Brien would be uploaded to YouTube to coincide with the 25th anniversary of the first episode, uh, with a further announcement that a full archive of the entire run would be made available sometime in January 2019. So that's 2,725 episodes from 1993 to 2009. So for this episode of the podcast, in honor of the 25th anniversary of one of the greatest late night talk shows of all time, we took advantage of this opportunity to start at the very beginning, and we watched the very first episode of Late Night with Conan O'Brien that originally aired on September 13th, 1993. So, let's give it up for that. It's a, it's a good time. Gotta hype, gotta hype up, I gotta really hype up that crowd. <laughs> Now, the episode we watched for this episode of the podcast was the one that was just recently posted to YouTube. I believe it's uh, Team Coco is the the account. So if you'd like to follow along, just search Late Night with Conan O'Brien. It should pop right up. And uh, hopefully the material we cover in this episode will enhance your viewing of the episode. We're, we're going to dig really deep, and uh, I'll, I'll fill you in on what was cut out of the episode as well as we go along. So uh, before we go any further, I'd like to ask uh, you guys, did, did you watch Conan? Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah, I definitely did. 100%. I was going to say, yeah. you have to, you can't just nod. <laughs> <laughs> I think I'm half asleep. How about you, uh, Hamish? Did, did Conan air in Australia? Uh, no, I can't say I, there was a time where it's like, oh yeah, Conan. I know recently, in the past couple of years or so, we had um, his newer show airing here. Yeah. Uh, which has been around for, you know, when he disappeared and came back. We did have his, oh, actually, wait. We can talk about his very short stint on that other show he did before Conan, right? We'll, we'll definitely get to it. Yeah, because we had that yeah. when it was briefly on, you know, with him. And yeah, it, it, uh, I can't say I can recall a time we had in Australia. Because like, we had, I guess, a couple of our own local shows here and there. But nothing like Conan or nothing like Letterman. Because we also had Letterman here as well. I can recall a lot more Letterman than um, I can of Conan here in Australia. Yeah, I know Letterman was definitely syndicated around the world. Uh, Jay Leno as well. Conan, maybe not so much if, you know, early on he was seen as kind of a, a third tier talk show, maybe in earlier in the mm. run. So I can understand that. But uh, for me, just I had so many fond memories, uh, summer vacation from school and getting to uh, watch late night with Conan O'Brien, you know, staying up all night. And it, it was it's so great. One of my favorite shows of all time. Just I, I loved the uh, all the bits that he had. Some great favorites of mine, satellite channels and Oh, it just goes on and on. I have some of the books and uh, the DVDs and everything. Just su such a great show and uh, something I've watched ever since I was a kid. 
Yeah, I think the only way we could have watched Conan is um, during the uh, the Comedy Channel here in Australia. You know, mm-hmm. when it's pay-per-view, not pay-per-view, uh, cable channels. Yeah. That were popular back in the early days. And these days, you know, we can access, access television everywhere. I mean, I think mostly now I just watch clips of Conan online, which is easy enough. Yeah. It doesn't, it doesn't degrade from the work. I mean, it doesn't have to be late night. It can be the middle of the morning. Yeah, and that that's what was great. You know, that's how I first discovered Late Night with Conan O'Brien as a kid was uh, I used to watch Talk Soup before school when I was in like, I don't know, fourth or fifth grade maybe. I, I can't remember if it was the Greg Kinnear Talk Soup or the, the John Henson Talk Soup, but they would he show... Was my favorite. Which one? John Henson? Yes. Yeah. Oh, he was great. But he would show a lot of clips from Conan from the night previous. So, you know, as a kid during school where I didn't have the you know ability to stay up at night i could still catch some of conan's funniest bits and that that's really how i first heard of his show and uh, yeah that's so funny i miss talk soup too now just an abbreviated backstory because this is obviously a massive backstory but in 1992 johnny carson announced his retirement from the tonight show and david letterman who was the host of late night with david letterman following him was seen as the obvious heir to the tonight show throne However, NBC awarded the hosting gig to Jay Leno, at the time a popular stand-up comedian who occasionally guest-hosted The Tonight Show. Uh, Letterman feeling hurt by the network, keeping him in that late-night time slot all that time and not rewarding him with The Tonight Show, left for the rival network CBS, where he became the host of the newly formed Late Show with David Letterman, and he was obviously there for years. Now, with a hosting vacancy in the time slot following Leno, NBC looked for new talent to fill the position, and there were names that they brought in, like uh, Dana Carvey was considered, Gary Shandling, and they both declined the job. Lauren Michaels was brought in to produce this new late-night show, and they held a bunch of auditions. There were comedians like Jon Stewart, who obviously went on to do The Daily Show, uh, but Lauren Michaels brought in an additional candidate, and this was a relatively unknown writer for The Simpsons and a former writer for Lauren Michaels' other show, Saturday Night Live, And this, of course, was the 30-year-old at the time, Conan O'Brien. And like I said, this is a massive backstory, so much so that if you're interested in getting a more in-depth version of Leno and Letterman's battle for The Tonight Show, you have to check out Bill Carter's book called The Late Shift. And they they even made like an HBO made-for-TV movie about it. It's uh, it's fascinating, uh, this this battle for the uh, the late-night time slots. Wow, I'll have to check that out. I wondered how it all started. Like, I didn't, I've always known Leno and Letterman to be competing against each other. And, and you know, even early on, they were friendly. I mean, Leno was a great guest on, on David Letterman's show, but uh, it, it all quickly fell apart. It, it is, it's a very interesting read. It's like the Red Sox and Yankees rivals. Oh, yeah, definitely. I've seen that um, made-for-TV movie. Yes, yeah, I, I, that's the thing that actually kind of made me realize that they're actually having a feud. And this is, I saw it years ago when I was, I also, I think, randomly in the middle of the day. And I was like, this guy is doing a really weird impression of Jay Leno. And I was like, oh, wait, he's supposed to be Jay Leno. Yeah, he's got like a prosthetic chin, I think, which is a little weird. But yeah, it's pretty funny. <laughs> yeah, they really went the whole hog. And um, David Letterman, who was playing that hand? David uh, Letterman, there, the guy playing that. John that? Michael Higgins, I think his name is. Oh, uh, yeah. He was from, also um, a, the American version of Kath and Kim. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's, that's the thing. I can, I, no, I, I, it's just his face on, the, on that weird wig and the gap tooth thing. Yes. Um, also, 
Best known for playing Mentok, the mind taker. That's right. There's a callback. So Conan's audition was actually a mock episode. He was brought into the set of The Tonight Show, and his first guests for that mock episode were Jason Alexander and Mimi Rogers. And uh, evidently he did so well that on April 13th, 1993, Conan was officially hired as the new host of Late Night. Uh, Robert Smigel, who wrote on Saturday Night Live, uh, who is to be a producer on Late Night, and of course better known now as the voice of Triumph, the insult comic dog, uh, recommended Andy Richter to be a writer on the show. But Andy and Conan developed such a good rapport that Andy was upgraded to sidekick before the show started. And so the premiere episode, the one we watched for this podcast, aired on the night of Monday, September 13th, 1993 on NBC. And again, I'm, I'm really condensing this history, but there is so much there. There's so much lore. I mean, you know, that's what you have to go with. You have to go with the lore of uh, Conan. So we got a lot to cover here, so let's get right into this episode. Uh, we, we actually begin with a pre-taped cold open as a camera zooms in on an upper floor window of a New York City apartment building. And cutting inside, we see Conan O'Brien waking up with a smile as his bedside alarm clock goes off and the morning light shines into his bedroom and we hear this jazzy, upbeat band music playing. Uh, we see him standing at a wall calendar where he has been counting the days until September 13th, obviously 1993 calendar, Makes another red X over the 12th, circles the 13th, and he turns away with a satisfied smile. It's pretty funny. I think he started every every time he got a new show, I believe he started with some sort of like pre-taped cold open like this. So we next see Conan in the bathroom wearing a robe, dabbing on some aftershave, still smiling. This cuts to Conan happily whistling, feeding the fish in his aquarium, and the TV plays in the background. Generously feeding those fish. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Now, this show that was playing on his TV, uh, this is the entertainment news program called John and Lisa from Hollywood. <laughs> I missed that. I used to watch Lisa's uh, talk show. When, I, when you were homesick from school and you could watch TV, that was one of those ones. This is actually the first form of Lisa's show. It's, this was John Tesh and Lisa Gibbons. They were discussing whether or not Conan will be as funny as his predecessor, David Letterman. All of the pressure he now faces. They, you know, they're talking about all this stuff. It, it, it kind of captures Conan's attention, but he just shakes his head, smiles. But uh, this show, I had to look up the history of it. John and Lisa from Hollywood had only been on the air about three months at this point. And four months later, it would be over. And uh, John, John Tesh would be gone from the show. And uh, it was reformatted about the time of Conan's 91st episode. That would be January 17th, 1994. Then it would become a standard talk show rather than an entertainment news program. And uh, now as the show Lisa, that's the one you were referring to, Sarah, it, yep. it did a little better. It lasted over six years. It lasted all the way until... <laughs> I feel like I should have a flashlight under my chin. <laughs> All right, so back to the episode. We we see next see Conan exit the apartment building with you know just gleeful optimism. He encounters the doorman who mentions you know it's a big day, a lot of pressure. Conan brushes it off, replying so they say, and walking down the streets of New York. We see Conan walking the busy sidewalk where passersby wish him good luck. One lady also comments on the pressure. Again, Conan's just brushing it off, saying, I'll do my best. 
And uh, he next stops at the cart of a flower vendor, where he takes a single white flower out of the hand of an old florist, slips it into the lapel of his jacket. And uh, as Conan walks away, the old florist shouts out, Hey! You better be as good as Letterman! And he just kind of happily shrugs and says, I'll give it a shot! And the florist <laughs> just kind of scoffs and grumbles to himself. Now, Conan next walks to a newsstand, buys a copy of the New York Post, which bears the giant headline, Conan had better be good. <laughs> We're starting to uh, sense a theme here. Uh, still unfazed, Conan continues down the sidewalk and stops at a group of girls playing hopscotch. He hops down the squares, hands one of the girls his flower, and as he continues on, the girls wave goodbye. They say goodbye, you better be good, and a lot of pressure. They must have had an enormous amount of confidence in Conan, for in Conan and for himself to handle that. I mean, I know it's a joke, but... That's got to get to you as well. You would think. I mean, you know, it's a like you said, it's a joke, but it's based on reality. I mean, people yeah. were really saying this to Conan through the media, you know, hopefully not as he's walking down the street. But this was what all the stories were about. You know, obviously, Leno and Letterman was a big thing. But uh, Conan and the pressure that he was going to face taking over for Letterman was another big story. Well, yeah, but, he, the, but the modern... Um equivalent of that i mean there are another late night talk show host but like stephen colbert taking over letterman's spot yeah i mean that's a it's a huge lot of a lot of pressure yeah. to take yeah. over that huge showcase so you know for um conan to make that kind of joke um i think it's very much the joke that any kind of talk show host who takes over a, a late night slot would make uh, and visualizing it, seeing him like, yeah, he seems fine with it. And then seeing the uh, gag just before the show. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah it, it, it's it's literally the, the the commonality of, you know, the huge pressure that everyone would feel if you were doing that kind of stuff. Plus, yeah, it's, 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 I, I think it works. It's a good gag, but, you know, uh, that self-deprecating humor always works for him. Yes, oh, yeah. and he, he used it very well throughout his run. So, finally reaching NBC's famed studios at 30 Rockefeller Center, we see a horse-drawn carriage operator parked in front. He yells to Conan that, you know, he better be good, with the horse whinnying the word pressure. Yes. <laughs> it's like even a random horse is reminding Conan of the pressure. And, you know, it's just, again, that pre-show media coverage he received at this time. Uh, not so much from animals, but from human beings. <laughs> Now, Conan just smiles, he walks into the building, and inside, he is now met by longtime news anchor Tom Brokaw. This was pretty funny. <laughs> it was quite threatening at the same time. <laughs> yes. <laughs> you know, at first, he's like, he shakes his hand, you know, I want to be the first to welcome you to NBC. And then, you know, as the two of them part, Brokaw stops Conan, you know, one more thing, you better be as good as Letterman or else. And he just, he punctuates his statement by crushing a couple of saltines in his hand and blowing the crumbs in Conan's direction. Just gives him this mean glare. It's so funny. <laughs> it's a side of Tom Brokaw that you would never expect. <laughs> Just quickly, was that your best Tom Brokaw impression? No, I, yeah, no, yeah, I don't know. Oh, so it wasn't the best one. You, you gotta save that. Uh, I, <laughs> I don't think I've ever practiced a Tom Brokaw. <laughs> Breaking news. Or, 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 I don't know, I couldn't do it. I'd have to practice it. <laughs> uh, so, I mean, yeah. So Conan just replies, I hear ya, and just continues on his merry way. Uh, walking down the studio corridor, Conan passes a lot of nervous NBC employees. They all have just looks of dismay on their faces. Uh, one man, of course, comments, a lot of pressure. 
Conan turns to the crew saying, see you folks out there, and enters his dressing room, which just says new host on the door. They couldn't even bother to put his name on the door. (laughs) (laughs) And we see him all dressed up. He's adjusting his necktie in the mirror. The flower arrangements set up in the room have slogans on them, like a lot of pressure and better be good. (laughs) They were funeral flowers. Yeah. (laughs) And he's just happily whistling to himself. He adds the finishing touches. He brushes his hair, dabs on a little makeup, and takes out a noose, slipping it over a rafter, and after standing on a chair, slips it around his neck. It's a, a very grim joke. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's one, I don't know if that would necessarily fly anymore. No. I think it still works in in context. Yeah, definitely would depend on the network. I mean, you know, uh, I mean, the quality of that rope looked fantastic. I mean, they (laughs) they didn't spare an expense. Uh, The craftsmanship is is very much what's the key thing here. I think that's the joke, right? Or am I missing something? Uh, Yeah, a little off. But originally, believe it or not, it was going to be even darker than this. It it was going to end with him putting a gun in his mouth. Ooh. Yeah, so they they scaled it back a little. But uh, fortunately, nothing comes of any of this. He gets a knock on the door telling him that he's on. He asks if he has a minute, but nope, he's needed on set immediately. So Conan just says, ouch, to himself and removes the noose, gets out of the chair and exits his dressing room. And this cuts to the show's open. So, I don't know. What do you guys think of the the first segment of the show? Uh, Well, I mean, kind of like we mentioned earlier with the self-deprecating humor. (laughs) It's definitely one of the things that I always enjoyed when I was watching Conan. And, uh, yeah, I mean, it kind of gives him that, uh, you know, hey, I'm just an ordinary idiot like the rest of you guys. So, the show's open is an animated opening sequence in which a cartoon Conan O'Brien decked out in pajamas and a nightcap brings a bowl of chips to bed, and he watches TV alongside his cat. The animation is done here by J.J. Settlemeyer, who is also known for the uh, Saturday Night Live Funhouse cartoons, the TV Funhouse cartoons, as well as uh, some work on Harvey Birdman, Attorney at Law. I had actually forgotten about the, uh, the animated intro sequence yeah, they ended up uh, doing away with that. But uh, yeah, the very first one was a, a cartoon. It's funny, that animation of the time just reminded me of Fido Dido, or Fido Dido, yeah, whichever yeah. way you want to say it. You're right, yeah. That's just that's an off- offhand thing, just because I looked at it, I was like, oh, this kind of looks like the animation. Man, this is really, really bringing back some nostalgia of something else not related to Conan. Of course, Conan's physique kind of matches that, you know, very tall and lanky, especially the cartoon version of him. So sure, I could definitely see those similarities. Are you body shaming, Conan? Absolutely not. (laughs) He has the same hairstyle now as he did then. Yeah, that's true. I mean, that was right off the bat. What are you talking about? His hair got a little bit... It looks different. The model of hair he has now compared to that one, that one is like he still kind of has a pseudo schoolboy quiff. But now it's really developed if you look at the technology that's been developed behind that hair that's true <laughs> this this is a half jo- this is a half joke because that hair if you see him when he's not on the show and he's just you know doing some stuff out um, out in the street yeah it's it's not as quaffed he has really? had 25 years to perfect it <laughs> well you know it's the engineers come along and they have to rebuild it they put some scaffold up and they just start building on that stuff you know i <laughs> mean that's tv it. we yeah, have the technology TV. <laughs> yeah <laughs> The hair gets changed, but the body stays the same. Like the first time you saw him, that 30-year-old body, same body. Hasn't changed. 
And I have to say, he hasn't changed much. I mean, we're seeing him at 30. We now watch him on TV in his, in his early 50s. And I mean, the guy doesn't look much different. You know, good for him. He had a beard for once, you know. That, that's true. That was a little different, but uh, yeah. yeah. And some of those early episodes of um, his other show, Conan, he had some uh, pretty big sideburns. <laughs> These are observations which no one else obviously will never notice. <laughs> I don't know why they should be important on this podcast. Because we dig deep on this podcast, so it's always welcome. Yeah, you, you look at the information, the facts and the figures. I look at the most obscure random <laughs> garbage. <laughs> where it's like, you know, you're looking at this face slowly morphing over time. I'm like, those sideburns are getting a little bit big. <laughs> Who does he think he is? Elvis? Ridiculous. <laughs> so from here, we hear the voice of late night announcer Joel Goddard say, From NBC Studios in New York, it's late night with Conan O'Brien. As uh, Conan's opening theme begins to play. Now, uh, Joel Goddard, he was the late-night announcer for the show's entire run, but he didn't make the move to L.A. when Conan got the Tonight Show job in 2009. So, uh, over his time with the show, uh, do you guys remember seeing Joel Goddard? He, he just became more and more of a character on the show. Yeah. <laughs> Always had that, that crazy grin they, they, they made him <laughs> smile with. Now, this opening theme, uh, this was written by Grammy winner John Lurie and Academy Award winner Howard Shore. And of course, this was performed by the show's longtime band, the Max Weinberg 7. Now, we, we next get the great retro logo for the show. I always love the look of this. Uh, with the crescent moon, we get some stars. This next has a camera pan across a field of stars. We see Conan's face with uh, as it passes by and winks, as well as the, the faces of the guests for this episode. So uh, th this is who we get in Conan's first episode ever. His guests are John Goodman. Drew Barrymore, and Tony Randall. There, uh, there was no musical guest for this episode. I believe Radiohead would end up being the first musical guest in the history of the show. And uh, that would be on the second episode the following night. So and whatever happened to Radiohead, you know? <laughs> <laughs> Nothing. Big you names, know? though. Big names early on for Conan. That was, that was great. Because remember, if these are these, these, uh, you know, beginning shows. You need to really upsell. You know, it would be worse if you had, like, we got a guy from the street with a tambourine! <laughs> just just trying to keep the show very local very real guys you know you know success hasn't gone to his head he's a man and a dog yeah well triumph <laughs> well that's a that's a man with his hand in a puppet okay. so you know and you don't see the man so it's just it's puppet half of that act is already gone it's just dog so uh after announcing the guests joel goddard makes a strange comment saying why can't we feed the hungry? And then he says something else. I, I could not make it out. Did, did you guys happen to catch this? We tried. Yeah, we replayed it. I don't know how many times. It, it, no clue what he says. It sounded like Bronkaiser or I, I don't know, <laughs> which makes no sense. No, if anybody can make it out, if anybody knows, drop us a line. Uh, hit us up on Twitter at Hitting Play. Yeah, just curious. I don't know if that was just kind of a... A thing where he was going to say something funny for this episode? I don't know. So now cutting to cartoon Conan's perspective. He kicks the cat out of the way, and uh, we see a cartoon Conan on TV walking through the blue curtain and entering the stage, which fades into the real-life Conan doing the exact same thing. Uh, so next we get a, a view of the uh, set here. The camera cuts to a, a swooping crane shot. Uh, the the crowd is applauding. We see the band finishing the theme song. And I didn't realize to start the show, the Max Weinberg 7 was right in front of the audience across from the stage. You know, later they would be more to the side uh, as Conan would incorporate the, many of the band members into comedy bits on the show as the, as the years went along. 
I thought they were more on the side on this episode, too. No, they, like, they were facing the same way that the audience was. Yeah, Max oh, cause was. because at the very end, they cut it, they were showing Max was off to the side, but there were a couple of the other players. I suppose they were in front of the audience, but not, like, in front of the audience. Some of them were. Uh. Some of them were. Just, just kind of Max was kind of given that spot up in the corner off to the side. But later, I mean, you know, in later episodes, you'll see they're, I mean, they're completely off to the side where the, the crowd can get a view of all of them. Well, because, you know, I think the crowd complained and said, well, we can't see this band enough. They're right in our front faces. And so, you know, they pushed them back, I assume. Because my favorite thing about going to concerts is seeing the back of people's heads, you know, especially <laughs> the band, especially the band playing. You know, it's great. Now, uh, this part of the show brings us to Conan's first opening monologue ever. And, and now we can go over this monologue because it's really Conan O'Brien introducing himself to the world for the very first time. Obviously, later monologues would be riffing on the topics of the day, but this is the very first one where most people got to meet Conan through their televisions. So uh, we can just go over this very briefly. He, he begins by faking a panic attack. He pretends to run off stage. He almost completely runs off stage. And uh, the crowd cheers, checks his watch, uh, he says that he's been in show business for 45 seconds. It's the nicest reception he's ever had. That was a pretty funny joke. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. What What did you guys think of his uh, opening monologue here? Were there any highlights for you? Yeah, I mean, it, parts of it, it was definitely rough. You could tell he was a, a little nervous. Yeah. Um, but, I mean, I still thought it was, you know, I, th I enjoyed it. <laughs> when he was talking about the trademark like Carson with the golf and the Arsenio fist mm, yes. I was like it brought me to his marionette pants oh the string dance the, the string, string dance, pants yeah. and then yeah, cut yeah. it so I think that became his trademark definitely yeah you saying Conan O'Brien's string dance is his trademark yeah oh yeah for sure well with his monologue yes hold on one second <laughs> let me fix this <laughs> <laughs> thanks <laughs> yeah, it's uh, great. These these people love me when I tell them to. I, I like how Conan's first joke acknowledges that he became the new host in a very different way and how a lot of late night hosts usually struggle through years of working in the comedy clubs, you know, making their way up to TV. But his plan is to start on TV, claw his way into the clubs, and then 10 years later he wants to be in high school. It's pretty funny. It's kind <laughs> of a backwards, was good. It's like a backwards trajectory. He said he get, uh, gave the show a lot of thought. Unlike other shows where the guests are given six or seven minutes, uh, he's going to have the same guests every night. He, and he says, you're really, you're really going to get to know John Goodman. Now, I, I looked this up because I'm like, I wonder how many times John Goodman actually appeared on Late Night. Uh, only four times. Uh, he was here in the first episode, then the 165th episode in May 1994. And then later he made some appearances, 96 and 98. So we got about a, what, a half an hour maybe total of John Goodman. Well, I definitely learned more about John Goodman on this episode than I needed to know before. <laughs> I think if you, you, you compile the times he's been on the show, or the lackey has been on the show, then that's enough to know John Goodman. Oh, let me fix that. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, guys. I know. Yeah, introspective stuff. Yeah. <laughs> Please continue. But I, I noticed like what Kevin was saying, you know, Conan, 
that he was trying to work on like the timing you know you could see what with the the way the audience was reacting with the laughing he was getting a little tripped up you know his rhythm was a little off and obviously that would change over the years but it was just kind of funny to see the nervousness he kept you know touching his cuffs over and over again you know i mean hey he's braver than i you know to do that but it was pretty funny to see for the very first time adjusting to uh his opening monologue something he would do obviously thousands of times after this did he have any in front of camera stuff prior to this no he was a writer on snl and yeah he had been you know in the background of some scenes but never you know, the focus no never so this was uh this was definitely an interesting trajectory for a late night host you know like he calls it out in the monologue you know it's uh, very unusual at one point in the monologue, he gets a little serious. He tells the audience that it's been a dream of his. And, you know, he says he'll do it well along with a chuckle and a, you know, like a we'll see. But <laughs> he talks about wanting to be a talk show host all the way back in high school and telling his friends about the dream. And the audience are just laughing. But he was being serious. You know, he really, you know, wanted to do something like this ever since he was a kid. So at, at, at towards the end now, Conan mentions the lineup for the episode, expresses his gratitude for the, these big stars appearing on the show, with him, you know, being virtually unknown. The episode, as it has been re-edited, makes a cut from this moment to Conan at his desk, if you noticed. And uh, usually what would happen here is the band would play a song as he makes his way over. Uh, we also hear the band play as they go in and out of commercial, and also when guests walk to the stage, so possibly because of rights issues, we skip right ahead to Conan's first desk segment. Yeah, I noticed there was, like, no music. And, you know, the band would play real songs, you know, real real licensed songs, so you can see why they probably uh, had to skip them. But uh, let's just talk about the set for a minute. How, how would you guys describe Conan's first uh, set? Oh, I loved it, because it, it, it basically just looks like the inside of an apartment. Yeah. <laughs> Given that he was kind of this fairly unknown person to you know people who were tuning in probably for the most part i kind of liked it because it was just kind of a gave the feel of oh it's just this guy in his apartment who has a talk show you know it's the podcast version of 1993 (laughs) (laughs) what are you talking about we're all in a studio (laughs) oh right (laughs) the picture behind him to the left the one that was pointing the finger um, is that Tom Brokaw? Uh, the one behind him. I'll have to look at it. Like to the left or to, the, to his right, I, I suppose. I gotta queue up the video here. <laughs> That's why I did, I did the drum roll. No, I see. I see what you're talking about. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So, uh, as, as Sarah mentioned, there are pictures behind Conan on the walls. There's also some framed clippings, it looks like, magazine clippings. Uh, the, there's also, you know, all these former broadcasters back there. That is Tom Snyder. Tom Snyder was a, a longtime NBC broadcaster. He went on to host the show after David Letterman, the Late Late Show, which is now hosted by James Corden. But that was, uh, that was Tom Snyder. Well, I got the Tom part right. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, I just thought it would be funny because he was, like, threatening him as he was walking in. That is funny, the the, uh, the the pointing the finger. It is an odd photo. Uh, there, there's also Joe Franklin, as is mentioned by Tony Randall later. Uh, there's there's others. Uh, other things in the set, too, we should mention. There's like an electric fan, an old light sconce. 
out uh, there's a window where you see New York at night and uh there's a you know a full moon up there you can see in some wide shots a very busy looking set but uh this is the set that if if you uh remember Bart Simpson visited there's the Simpsons episode entitled Bart gets famous uh, where Bart became so famous as the I didn't do it boy that he got to be on late night with Conan O'Brien and uh <laughs> it, it was a really nice tribute by the Simpsons writers to Conan who left after the previous season so if, if you want to see a cartoon version of this set that we're talking about, check out Simpsons Season 5, Episode 12. Hey, just, uh, you mentioned the James Corden before. Yes. You know, I, I really liked Craig Ferguson. I oh, really yeah, did. Craig Ferguson was great. Yeah, I like that. Uh, he's, a, he's a good, uh, he's like a cup of coffee <laughs> that you can enjoy at night that keeps you up with a dancing horse. You know, I, I, I thought the insanity of that show was great, but, you know, he's he's... Late night show, James Corden's thing is very much for kids, the youth. The kids are into the BuzzFeed, the YouTubes, the, um, what's those things that spit around in a hand? You know, they have a very complicated name, which I really love because they're so complicated. What are they called again? They're supposed to keep you from, uh, moving around a lot, right? Yeah, like a compulsion. I right. Don't know. <laughs> I, his thing, I get nothing wrong with what he does, but like, you know, I feel like his, his version of a late night show is very, um, it's very much angling for the viral sensationism. But I still love that, you know, Reggie Watts. He's great. Oh, yeah, Reggie's, Reggie's great. It's fantastic. Now, just going back to the set here for Conan, later it would be redesigned with more cool blue colors and a backdrop of the, the New York City skyline. It would change a little bit over the years, but it would be pretty much like that, that look, uh, where the brown walls and stuff that's behind Conan now, that's, uh, you know, just early on he had that look. Now, the set that we're seeing here, this is NBC Studio 6A. It was first used for NBC radio programs from 1933 well into the 50s. It was home to the show 21, which is best known for its scandal retold in the movie Quiz Show. Uh, it was also the home of The Tomorrow Show, The David Letterman Show, and of course, Late Night with David Letterman. Now, after Conan left, this Studio 6A was used for The Dr. Oz Show, and uh, Late Night with Jimmy Fallon recorded there briefly... Uh, while 6B was being, uh, you know, renovated, so it would be uh, The Tonight Show with Jimmy Fallon. Uh, from 2014 to 2016, it was used for The Meredith Vieira Show, and in 2016, it was briefly used for the Maya Rudolph Martin short variety show, Maya and Marty. And currently, the studio is vacant. After Megyn Kelly Today was cancelled, the Today Show brought their third hour in there, but moved it to Studio 1A in January 2019. And uh, also notable is the other fact I had about the set. It was the first NBC studio to be converted to high definition. Wow. I know, it's not funny, but I'm just, you know, like I said, we're going <laughs> to dig deep. All right, so back to the show here. Now at the desk, uh, we start with Conan thanking and introducing his band. This is the Max Weinberg 7. Now, uh, just a little background on these guys. Uh, Max Weinberg was the drummer for Bruce Springsteen's E Street Band, but in 1989 they had broken up. Uh, Max auditioned to be the drummer in the Broadway production of Tommy, but he didn't get the lead. So that night, he just so happened to run into Conan outside of New York's famed Carnegie Deli. And Max had some ideas. Uh, he had some ideas for the music that would be on, on Conan's upcoming talk show, and Conan liked what he heard and promised him an audition. And uh, Max formed the Max Weinberg 7 with musicians that he had worked with in the past, and the band was hired for the job. So, you know, what a... What a great uh, thing that came out of a, a chance meeting. Now, the band consisted of Max Weinberg on drums, also the band leader, 
Uh, Jimmy Vivino on guitar and vocals, also arrangements, and he served as the musical director. Uh, when the E Street Band actually did reform in 1995, Max couldn't be on the show all the time. And during those times, Jimmy Vivino would also serve as the band leader. We also had uh, Scott Healy on keyboards and occasionally a guitar. Mike Merritt on bass. Mark the Love Man Pender on trumpet. Uh, some acoustic guitar and some loud, powerful vocals. There, there was some great. Uh, <laughs> there was a great comedy bit where, where uh, Mark Pender would just like go crazy on on a like on a certain topic and start scream singing. It was so funny. And of course, we have Richie Rosenberg, better known as La Bamba, who played trombone, uh, some percussion and vocals. And his vocals were especially important when uh, Conan looked to the future all the way. Such a great voice. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, we also had Jerry Vivino, who uh, played sax, flute, and clarinet. And in addition to this lineup, when Max was away, James Wormworth filled in on drums. Now, when Conan got the Tonight Show job, the band became known as the Max Weinberg and the Tonight Show Band. And James Wormworth was brought on as the eighth member on percussion. That way, when Max was away, James still filled in on drums. And then they brought in Ronnie Gutierrez, who filled in for James on the uh, percussion. And uh, just just a couple more notes I have on the band here. When uh, Conan's time at the Tonight Show had come to a, a messy end, he he took the the show on a tour called the Legally Prohibited from Being Funny on Television Tour. <laughs> yes. During that time, Max was absent for all the stops but New York because he was recovering from heart valve surgery. And during that time, the band that was left was briefly known as the Legally Prohibited Band. It's pretty funny. And so later, when uh, Conan ended up as he is now on TBS, Max Weinberg was no longer with the band, and they were renamed Jimmy Vivino in the Basic Cable Band, uh, with James Wormworth permanently on drums. So that's that's the band situation. Great band, too. Also to be noted, it was announced that when Conan switches to a half-hour format in 2019, there will no longer be a show band, or any musical performances for that matter. So on October 4th, 2018, before the show took a break, the basic cable band said its final goodbyes. Talk about, uh, just sort of quickly add in with Conan's TBS uh, beginnings. Remember those promos they had with him dancing around on the blue, uh, it was like a blue background, blue floor, and he's just dancing around doing weird things. And it ends with him going, you got to put music over this, right? <laughs> Do you remember those promos no. before that show started? No, I don't. <laughs> okay. <laughs> How come we got it here? Because we, we got those promos uh, here because we're not going to start showing um, Conan's new show here. Yeah, I just thought that was hilarious because you just see him dancing around and you just hear like <laughs> that as he's you know jumping, doing a string dance, pulling some moves. Yeah, and ends up with him slightly winded saying, you know, you're going to put music <laughs> over that. That's funny. Now, Conan next introduces a man he calls both a friend and a sidekick, Andy Richter. Now, Andy is only 26 years old here. Wow, it's he pretty funny. older. Oh, that's. Ooh, that's I, nice. I, I was about to say, I was I about to say he looked, looked really baby-faced. Really? Yeah, oh, yeah. yeah. I didn't. It's very so. baby-faced. He didn't look twenties. But then again, I, in '93, I was a freshman in high school, so I don't know. Well, Andy. Well, anyway, <laughs> as I mentioned, he was recommended for a job at Late Night by Robert Smigel, and uh, the story here is that. After college, Andy had worked as a production assistant, and he took classes at Chicago's Improv Olympic. And he later moved to New York and performed with the Annoyance Theater, where he was involved in a stage show called The Real Life Brady Bunch. 
and he played Mike Brady in the New York shows. And uh, soon after, the actresses who played Marsha and Jan in that show got jobs at SNL, and through them, Andy was able to attend these, you know, famed SNL after parties, and that's where he first met Robert Smigel. So two years later from that point, here he was, sitting next to Conan at late night. And uh, Andy wasn't well-loved by everybody during his time at NBC. And reportedly, one executive told Conan they're never going to succeed until they got rid of Andy. Well, that's crazy. crazy. Nobody can resist a man in a puppy suit. Oh, wrong show. <laughs> what show was that? Andy Richter controls the universe. Oh, yes. There's a, no, puppy line jacket. Oh, okay. That's what it was. That's right. Now, Andy stayed as Conan's sidekick, though. He stayed there for six years, uh, leaving in, let's see, May... <laughs> really really keeping that joke up it's good <laughs> gotta keep it relevant yeah and here you know from that point when he left he he left to pursue an acting career and that's where we get andy richter controls the universe and was it quintuplets was that the other show Ugh, yes. oh yeah well, it led to a pretty funny joke on Arrested Development, so... That's true, yeah. And so when Conan got The Tonight Show in February 2009, Andy rejoined him now as announcer and sidekick, and when Conan got his TBS show, Andy joined him in there in those capacities as well. So, for a brief time they were gone, but now they're back together, and uh, they really play off of each other very well, I think. They're very funny together. Oh yeah, it, that was one of my favorite parts of the show, is just, you know, the, the two of them interacting. <laughs> The banter between them was great. Now back to the episode, Conan mentions that, you know, was there, there was a nationwide scouting search for a sidekick and Andy didn't even enter, but somehow won the competition. And Andy says, oh yeah, you know, he scratched off a scratch and win off of a box of donuts and won the position. It's pretty funny. Because everybody likes donuts. Like, especially Dunkin' Donuts? Uh, just uh, Dunkin' yes, yes. I'll have you know. <laughs> yeah, yeah, just Dunkin'. <laughs> so from here, Conan goes into his first comedy bit ever. Uh, this is actual small town items, and this would end up becoming one of his long-running bits. Uh, the name would later be shortened to just actual items, but uh, actual small town items is a take on the long-running bit that Jay Leno had on The Tonight Show called Headlines, and in that, Jay would ask viewers to send in newspaper clippings featuring, you know, humorous typos, maybe some poorly worded ads, even wedding announcements where the bride and groom's last names made some hilarious phrase when put together. When viewers heard Conan explain the premise of actual small town items, you know, no doubt many were assuming, hey, this is just a blatant ripoff of Jay Leno's bit. Uh, even even uh, Andy, when he does this, he, he makes a joke about, oh yeah, this is groundbreaking television. But right away, you can see there's something a little different about this group of clippings. So, you know, it starts just like Jay Leno's bit here. Conan grabs a stack of black pieces of cardboard with, you know, articles pasted to them and shows them off to the audience. But, uh, yeah, what, what did you guys think of some of these actual small town items? <laughs> uh, I loved it. Oh, it's a classic gag. Oh, yeah. I guess so. I mean, we, we um have had that gag done here because we used to have a show called Hey, Hey, It's Saturday, which aired every, as you guessed it, Wednesday. Um, <laughs> yeah. Tuesday. Uh, <laughs> no, mid, mid, middle of the day on a Saturday, you know, so no one can watch it. Yeah, we used to have a show called Hey, Hey, It's Saturday, which also would do that gag where they'd pull out, you know, newspaper clippings uh, or just, you know, funny ads and things like that. It's a classic thing, but I think, you know, 
uh, Conan doing the uh, gag at that point in time. Obviously, yeah, there's huge parallels. But obviously, the payoff is really good, I gotta say. And it's funny because they're, they're just trying to play it as if this is real. Like, they're just so committed to the bit where, you know, there's, <laughs> there's some weird ones like uh, there's a, a Michelin ad. It says, free order of French fries with every new set of Michelin tires. And then Conan's just, he turns to Andy. He's like, the truth is so much stranger than fiction, Andy. You know, it's like, <laughs> I love the Bob's mini golf course. And the, the slogan is, we are a really bad miniature golf course. You shouldn't come here. <laughs> you know, and Andy's just telling the audience, you know, this one is obviously real because you could not make that up. <laughs> and it's, it's actually going pretty good. You know, the, the, it's actually getting small applause breaks some of these uh some of these gags so yeah their first bit was going pretty well i <laughs> i was cracking up i wrote this one down the uh, the morris funeral home from minerstown pennsylvania which yes. promises we will make the death of your loved one the most frightening and disturbing experience you've ever endured <laughs> <laughs> that's Conan. what i'm looking for in a funeral <laughs> yeah with conan adding there's nothing funnier than real items that weren't faked and doctored by a graphics department <laughs> uh, the the last one that he does in this bit it's uh about a uh, a woman that was hit by a bus it was a news item did you did you guys catch that yes someone want to read it all right a woman is in critical condition today after being hit by a bus at a downtown intersection the victim mrs louise hit by a bus was rushed to a county hospital where she was operated on by Dr. Help Louise. Mrs. Hit-by-a-bus's husband, John Hope She's Okay, spent the night <laughs> sitting up with her. Hospital officials stated that her condition is critical, and they refused to say what color her shirt is. <laughs> now do so it like strange. Tom Brokaw. <laughs> the victim, Miss Louise Hit-by-a-bus, was rushed to county hospital. <laughs> <laughs> so you do it better. You should have done it. I just need to put marbles in my mouth and I'll be good. Now we're like Wolfman Jack. <laughs> oh, no. Oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, thought we were rid of him. No, we're not done with Wolfman Jack. <laughs> Can you ever be done with Wolfman Jack? Not on this show, evidently. All right, babies. I got to watch some late night television show. <laughs> what do you know? Uh, yeah. All right, so now with that bit over, Conan stashes the items under his desk. Andy says, that was an amazing segment, and I hope we can do it again soon. And uh, Conan says, yeah, as soon as their research team can find another batch, because they're not easy to find. So uh, from here, Conan takes a commercial break. And uh, what was cut out of here was that when the band plays out to commercial, we get a little extra footage from the opening of the episode. Conan is outside of the 30 Rock Studio elevator, squatting down with a broom and a dustpan, cleaning up cracker crumbs as Tom Brokaw watches with his arms folded. And Tom then pats Conan on the shoulder. So I thought that was pretty funny. Uh, it's too bad they cut that out. <laughs> I know. Now, when we return, Conan and Andy are about to welcome the very first guest in the history of the show. They talk about how exciting it is, and, you know, it's so funny because, um, you know, you can tell they're a little nervous, this is the first show, and there's, uh, they're actually, you know, genuinely excited about their very first guest, but the audience is laughing because they think it's sarcasm. And Conan's like, no, we, we're really excited, you know, tries to correct course. But Conan now welcomes his first guest ever, John Goodman, 
who he describes as one of America's most beloved actors, known for Roseanne and there to promote the upcoming Flintstones movie. And so we get this huge production here for uh, for John Goodman. What did you think of this, guys? Oh, it was great. It was very, very over the top, but it was hysterical. They've got, you know, it was it stock footage of uh, a crowd applauding? <laughs> yes, yeah, some old awards show. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so we get that, you know, you people in like tuxedos and everything standing and applauding. And then, you know, like he comes out, they present him with this medal that says first guest. And, you know, all these <laughs> photographers rush the stage and are like taking photos <laughs> like it's this big press conference thing. Who is the guy? Some guy. Uh, they, they brought out a guy dressed up as then New York Mayor David Dinkins. They had like, okay. oh. a, a, ah. fake, a fake mayor of New York to put the medal around John Goodman's neck. And, <laughs> and shake the... with his, he shook his hand with the wrong hand. Oh, did he? Yeah, because he was shaking Conan's hand with the correct hand. Yeah. I wonder if he got to keep the medal. But, and then they're flashing graphics on, you know, the screen like <laughs> <laughs> first guest. In, oh, it was... <laughs> Awesome. <laughs> it lasted for the longest time. The band oh, yeah. was just playing on and on and on. So finally, you know, the, the fake Dinkins leaves, the paparazzi files away, the band flourishes, die, start to die down. Conan and John finally sit down. And uh, John kind of says, you know, a couple of years when he bottoms out, he can trade his gold medal for a gallon of cheap scotch. <laughs> I mean, the, again, talk about self-deprecating humor. I, I, I you know, he's, he was doing was it, Roseanne at this time, right? Yes. Yeah, and he's moved on to outlive Roseanne and still do the show. It's great. <laughs> Everything is in a circle. We can't escape it. We're probably going to have Frasier coming back next week. <laughs> I can hear Will the blues are calling. Yeah, Will Grace is back. Yeah. yeah. I, I just want Quantum Leap to come back. Oh, Sean does Magnum too. PI. Yeah, there's, there's another Magnum PI, which looks like a show. It, it, I, having watched the first episode, we can say, yes, it, it was a show. It was on TV. <laughs> Rave reviews. And and it crosses over with uh, the new Hawaii Five O. Okay, yep. that's nice of them. As the original Hawaii, ones I'm did waiting too. for the Inhumans to come in. Oh yeah. Oh man, <laughs> we're just bringing back all the all the hits, all the callbacks on this podcast, aren't we? Oh, uh, all all the ones that people love. Yes. it's a recap yeah, episode, right? No. <laughs> this is the future. This is a future episode where we talk about the past. <laughs> it's a future past tense episode. But is this episode real? No, it's on the internet. <laughs> <laughs> now, I should mention that uh, John Goodman, he's only 41 here. Uh, at this point, he had just won a Golden Globe for his work on Roseanne. 14 years after this appearance that we watched, in 2007, he would win an Emmy for a guest spot on Studio 60 on the Sunset Strip. Now, John mentions that he had just finished his movie, The Flintstones. I like when uh, Conan asked, you know, what part did you play? That was pretty funny. <laughs> <laughs> and John even, like, explains the premise of that The Flintstones. Yeah. And uh, he says, oh, yeah, they'll go on to have a line of children's chewable vitamins. And uh, <laughs> since we had Hamish on the show, I wanted to ask, Hamish, did you guys have Flintstones chewable children's vitamins in Australia? Uh, I can't specifically think of... Flintstones, but we had chewable vitamins. Like, I remember being a kid having uh, the, the chewable vitamin C tablets. Oh, no, no, we had the same thing, but they came in like robots. They look like robot things. That's what I remember when I was a kid. You were not part of the 10 million strong and growing. <laughs> <laughs> he had the knockoff version. There was, there was like, hey, I was eating jars of Vegemite. Vegemite has a great slogan. Puts a rose in every cheek. Get all those vitamin B into your body. It's great. 
need some sunblock, you just take it out of the jar, smear it on your face. It's great. <laughs> it's good. You need to grease up a wheel, get some Vegemite. Okay, so evidently, with all the Vegemite down there, they did not need the Flintstones vitamins. But I was just curious, because, I mean, Kevin and Sarah, you guys had it growing up? Oh, yeah. Of course. Yeah, they were everywhere. John goes over the cast of the movie here, and uh, Conan, it's an interesting thing he mentions he stops to ask you know if the great gazoo ever appears in the movie and john kind of coyly says you know no not in this one but maybe if the public likes it we'll have to do another one and uh, conan further explains well the great gazoo is the little green space guy that some say ruined the series and john replies you know not in our movie pal and <laughs> funny thing about that oddly enough well first of all harvey corman who actually did the voice of the great gazoo in the cartoons he voiced the Dictabird in the Flintstones movie. So they actually did have the voice of Great Gazoo in the movie. But even more interesting, six years after the Flintstones movie, that was uh, the movie uh, The Flintstones in Viva Rock Vegas, which came out in April... <laughs> uh, there it is. That was the, you know, the, the sequel that was released. Uh, th that had a completely new cast. Mark Addy, uh, Stephen Baldwin. Alan Cumming was in it as the Great Gazoo. So John Goodman was right. Not in his movie, but yes, in Mark Addy's movie. So that was just kind of a, an interesting thing. Because when Conan mentioned, is the Great Gazoo in it? I'm like, man, I, I vaguely remember a live-action Great Gazoo somewhere. And yeah, that's where it was. Not in his movie. Really dodged a bullet. <laughs> John was talking uh, about doing a lot of the, uh, you know, the press tours for it. He met with the foreign press. He was on a Japanese talk show where through a translator, they said, you know, why do you find it necessary for a primitive man to wear a necktie? But uh, on that laugh, uh, Conan takes a commercial break. Now, what was cut here as they went to commercial was a blue screen featuring late night trivia. The question is, what were the names of the two youngest members of the Partridge family? So then they went to commercial. When they came back, the answer given was, we don't know. <laughs> <laughs> now, when they return, this was kind of odd. You know, this is where I think the show is really showing themselves to be something different. Uh, Conan says they'll be right back to the interview after this special effects technician. And this cuts to a bearded man <laughs> slowly dancing on stage to One More Night by Phil Collins. <laughs> I thought it was pretty funny. I, I think they probably should have given it a little bit more space before they cut to it you know like because it seemed like okay we're back okay we're leaving now like they if they had given it a couple extra beats before they were like oh wait hold on yeah. I, it probably would have done a little better but i i did like how goodman was kind of cracking up at <laughs> <laughs> yes. almost like he wasn't expecting it you know <laughs> and was just like what is going on <laughs> But he, he was good. Uh, he, he played along with, you know, all the nonsense. Oh, yeah. He, he was a great first guest for the show. Oh, yeah. I think it worked just because, again, they were really trying to set up the whole flavor of the show, the wackiness. Yep. And what people, uh, you know, are going to expect, you know, a boring old show. They're going to expect these kind of non sequiturs happening. Because the same thing we had here with um, writer, comedian, actor, Sean McAuliffe here in Australia. Who he he's had a he actually had a real late night TV show after having a fake late night TV show or fake talk show called the McAuliffe Program and he'd do things like that like they'd go off to a, a sketch or 
something or something rather come back to a studio segment and it always come from like a talent show like there'd be some sort of weird talent show thing he seems to be judging at the same time and when one of these things they had a guy you know was it a guy who's standing on a block of wood one of these guys yeah a guy standing on a block of wood looks like he's about to chop into that wood like really quickly but he just chops his own legs off <laughs> <laughs> and he's still standing there so yeah i mean that kind of you know, energy of just things keeping people on their toes. I guess keeping them to watch because, you know, they don't want to miss anything that might be a little side joke. I think it really sets up the tone of what this version of the his or Conan's show is going to be. It was definitely the next uh, iteration of Late Night. And Conan really, you know, set the early tone very early in this first episode, the absurdist humor that uh, the show would offer through the years. Just continuing with the interview here, uh, there was a mention of Us Magazine, uh, naming him one of the sexiest stars on television. And then, you know, John just kind of also mentions that uh, he was named by another magazine as the star that most resembled Mr. Potato Head. I believe it was a survey taken by the preschool toy company. <laughs> <laughs> and and uh, uh, Michael Jordan came in second in that poll. Yeah, they actually, you know, stopped to show John's face and then Mr. Potato Head's face on screen. You know, John said that he doesn't want his three-year-old to know because he fears she'll stick the uh, the sharp Mr. Potato Head eyepieces into his eyeballs while he's sleeping. It's pretty funny. <laughs> <laughs> now, just a side note, that three-year-old daughter, Molly, now works on the art departments of various TV shows. So she's uh, she's in the business now. So Conan asks, you know, John, with such a busy schedule, you know, what do you do to relax? And he names a few things, you know, uh, Naked Twister, Cheap Gin, and Leg Wrestling. And so here we get the the leg wrestling segment. So could you guys explain to the listening audience what leg wrestling is? It's like arm wrestling, but with your legs. <laughs> I thought that was going to be longer. Oh, well. <laughs> <laughs> but like, what's the objective? You know, you, you, you lie side by side, kind of your feet are facing opposite walls and you lock your, what is it? The left leg. And they, you, they didn't say leg, like particular legs they were just holding hands and then they raised their inside leg so like what's the objective do you, do you have to roll the other person or get them to i don't submit? know we never got the answer of who won i know spoiler there's no spoiler yeah but but so they mentioned leg wrestling you know and it's funny because i think i have seen leg wrestling happen a couple times over the years on conan but uh uh you know john explains what it is how it's how it's done and you know, he, he talks about how he quit for a while because he killed a man and he's never been <laughs> defeated. Uh, Conan volunteers Andy to challenge Andy cites some sort of bursa gland issue. And John had mentioned earlier in the interview how he had just gotten over pneumonia. So Andy's like, oh, yeah, you know, he's he's just getting over pneumonia. So they, they shouldn't. So Conan asks the audience, you know, for volunteers. And one man finally accepts and makes his way down to the stage to leg wrestle John Goodman. And it's... Say it with me. <laughs> Norm! 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 What do you want? Norm, the guy from Cheers. There you go. Well, whatever. Anyway, that's George. <laughs> that's what they say in Cheers, right? That's because they're trying to warn Norm that he's drinking way too much and he's been here way too long. <laughs> is, that, is that the whole thing? Like, Norm, the guy from Cheers! It's a Boston thing, Hamish. Norm. I don't think you'd get it. That's okay. I didn't know. I didn't recognize him right away because of the beard. <laughs> yes, this was a bearded George Went. And, you know, uh, George Went was 44 years old here. The last episode of Cheers had just aired less than four months prior to this appearance. So he probably was, you know, done with Cheers and figured, well, I can grow a beard finally. It's like Letterman. His yeah, exactly. <laughs> to his chest now. <laughs> so 
it's pretty funny you just you see these two big guys they get into position they lock legs they begin the struggle and the crowd is cheering and chanting and you know we see the way the camera frames it, we got Conan at his desk. The two men's shoes are at the bottom of the frame. The, their legs are twisted, you know, right there at the bottom of the screen. And Conan is just like, this is why I wanted a TV show. <laughs> <laughs> and they go to commercial. And, and I like, you know, this was something we'll see over and over and over on Conan where, you know, like all of a sudden there's someone from the audience, you know, planted out there that's suddenly interacting with the people that are actually part of the show. Oh, yeah. You know, over the years, it would be different people, different writers that, you, you mm-hmm. know, people might recognize. Uh, Amy Poehler uh, was also one of those people. I mean, we could go on and on with all the, the famous Jack interns. Yeah, Jack McBrayer was an intern. Uh, John Krasinski, Ellie Kemper, Mindy Kaling. The list goes on and on. Do you, do you have the list there? No. Okay, well, I, I guess it goes on and on somewhere else. That's right. Not here. Somewhere else. Do oh, your okay. own research. Come on. Nah. <laughs> so, <laughs> so they went to commercial with this wrestling match going on. Uh, they come back from commercial, and what was cut here was a doctored black and white photo of Conan sumo wrestling. We see Conan being held very tight. The two guys are face to face. We see that the leg wrestling competition is over. The guys are gone. Conan says that Drew Barrymore and Tony Randall are coming up, as well as the results of the leg wrestling competition. But first, we get a preview of what's coming up on the show later with Bob Costas. Uh, this was very strange. Yeah. I didn't <laughs> okay. realize that Bob Costas did um, comedy. I don't know. I just I picture him with sports. Wait, wait, wait. I'm just thinking, like, you didn't know he had the capacity for humor? No, I did. I didn't realize he did a humor-like television show. He didn't, I mean, though. I know this it was, was just... a plant, but... Well, it was a tree, but... Yeah. Uh... No, so here we cut to the set of Later. This was a show where Bob Costas is interviewing the last two surviving cast members of The Wizard of Oz. This is an 84-year-old man with a long gray beard. Uh, He's a little person as well as uh, an apple tree who is 140 years old. Uh, It's a man dressed as an apple tree. It's not really clear as to whether he's interviewing an apple tree or a man dressed as an apple tree. That's not really that defined. But anyway, they they talk a little bit about Judy Garland and her personal problems as well as working with Ray Bolger. And it's at this point that Bob casually picks an apple and just begins eating it. And the apple tree freaks out. His former co-star flees the stage. And the interview ends as the apple tree picks his own apples and just starts winging them at Bob. (laughs) so strange now uh just some background here the the show later with bob costas was an emmy award-winning talk show that started in 1988 so a few years uh you know it was on the air at the point that we saw it here it served as a long format interview show so no frills no music no comedy bits it was made basically to take the place of infomercials in the late news bob costas would leave the show about five months after we see him here february 1994 uh, Greg Kinnear would replace him for two more years. Then after an additional four years of guest hosts and one year with uh, VH1 VJ, Cynthia Garrett, uh, the show was finally given to Carson Daly in 2002. They actually changed the name of the show to Last Call with Carson Daly, and that show still runs today. Is this because Carson Daly can't find the exit? <laughs> <laughs> he, they, they locked the door on him and he's like, guys, where's the door? It's like, oh, we don't know. <laughs> so... I don't know. What did, you, what did you guys think of this later segment? This was pretty unexpected. Oh, yeah. I mean, it, it was bizarre. I mean, especially uh, like Sarah was saying, like it, his show didn't have crazy stuff like that. But I, I think that kind of made it almost funnier 
but it yeah. was just it was weird yeah it was it's hilarious and then you know bob did a little stunt work there kind of rolling off the back of his chair to uh shield himself from flying apples so he was a good sport but anyway so from here conan takes another commercial break when we return from commercial, uh, Drew Barrymore has now taken a seat as the next guest. We'll see that she's wearing kind of an Asian-inspired red dress here. Yeah, I was wondering, why was she dressed up as Chung Lee from the Street Fighter movie? <laughs> <laughs> so it's a nice dress, but maybe not her speed? It did remind me of, of Chun Li's dress, too. That's pretty funny. Uh, what was cut here, because when we come back, it's just Drew at the stage. Uh, what was cut here was Drew walking to the stage as the band played the theme to E.T. So probably some <laughs> rights issues there. Uh, Drew Barrymore is only 18 years old here. This is only about 11 years after her appearance in E.T. Uh, at this point in her career, she had just made the made-for-TV movie The Amy Fisher Story in January 93. So that's what they're talking about at the beginning of the interview. Uh, also, at the same time, there was another made-for-TV movie about the same story called Casualties of Love with Alyssa Milano in the Amy Fisher role. And that's why Conan joked that, uh, you know, like, oh, of all of all three movies that were made, you know, yours was the best. <laughs> uh, her next acting role after this uh, interview would be the movie Doppelganger, which would be released a month after this episode, October 1993. And uh, unfortunately, it's not about the Spider-Man clone with the the six arms and crazy tongue and teeth and everything. Boom. <laughs> I know. <laughs> now she, uh, she talks about not getting to meet Amy Fisher because this story, we're not going to get into what that story was about. You can Google it yourself, but uh, she couldn't really meet her because of all the court proceedings and all that stuff. But she really, you know, studied the role and she wanted to get the Long Island accent down. And she talks about it, you know, like learning it over and over and over again. So I, I figured this would be a good opportunity for Hamish to bring out his New York accent. Oh, I'm sorry. I, I, you said the Long Island accent? Uh, I'm sorry, I can't do that. That's very specific. <laughs> yeah, it's not regional, you know, to a specific area. What do you want me to say? Like, oh my God, what are we doing over here? There oh, <laughs> See, that's there's all some I stuff here. <laughs> that's, that's all you wanted? Yeah, that's the all next I podcast, The next podcast will just be me doing that, going, oh, look at this stuff over here. Oh, I don't oh. think I'll be able to make it for that one, but I think Kevin and Sarah are going to host that one. <laughs> oh, I got to do a backflip here. I'm the Spider-Man. That's, that's, that's me doing an audition for Spider-Man, if they do another series of that cartoon. Nice. <laughs> oh, look out, guys. There's Spider-Man. What? You guys like pizza? I do too. <laughs> Whoa, the rhino. Whoa, look at this guy. He's a big dude. <laughs> Dr. Octopus, what you gonna do with those eight arms? Eat a lot of coffee? <laughs> Eat a lot of coffee. <laughs> it's Tony Danza Gosh. as Peter Parker. <laughs> no, it's Tony <Yeah>. Parker. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, that's that's a specific thing he wants to do for the movie. No, it's Tony Parker. It's like, no, it's Peter Parker. I ain't doing it then. Okay, we'll do Tony Parker then. That's all I wanted. Thank you. I appreciate you for okay. indulging me. But uh, okay, so back back to the interview here. Uh, Conan is you know talking to Drew about trying to uh, shed her previous image and uh, mentions she's a spokesmodel for guest jeans. They then cut to a photo from one of the ads, which I don't think I saw any jeans in that. Yeah, that no, photo. there no were jeans. definitely no jeans involved with that. <laughs> You're telling me. It's so funny because Conan starts yelling, you know, like, ow, ow, and, you know, asking Andy to join him. And they all just kind of hoot and holler for a while. And it's, it's kind of awkward. It's very strange. But then they, you know, they even show for the first time that John Goodman is still there, too. Just kind of sitting silently as the two of them are just, you know, still shouting. 
And so uh, Conan apologizes to Drew saying that he had to make those noises because they were on the cue card. And sure enough, they cut to the to the guy holding the cue cards. And there it reads, ow, 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 wowie, yow, ow, wow, ow. And the cue card holder was wearing a San Francisco Giants jacket. Yeah. And they're in New York, right? Yeah. Well, he can get a pass. It's the other league, so, you know. <laughs> but it was funny because uh, it almost seemed like Drew, like, you know, like the John Goodman stuff, he was obviously aware that this was going to happen but I, mm-hmm. I don't think drew knew this bit was coming i think they wanted to surprise her with that so she was kind of like laughing like oh yeah it really does say that on the cue card <laughs> it seemed like she was really trying to do this as an interview like yeah. she wasn't quite sure what to make of it right because you know it's like well what what is this show well what do they do on the show well there hasn't been an episode yet so but I like here that Conan makes the joke, well, you know, everything's written down for me because the network is so scared. And it's like, oh, okay, there's a little <laughs> truth to this. <laughs> I got a kick out of that, too. <laughs> they they talk a little bit about Drew's tattoos. She's got a huge one on her ankle that she, she mentions she's had it for five years. I'm doing the math. I'm like, she got that at 13? That's crazy. She's a lot braver than I am. I'm, uh, I don't know. Not only that, but like, granted, she's in show business, but I mean, when I got, I'm trying to think, when I got my first tattoo, I forget what the age was, but I mean, it was like certain states you couldn't even get them in. Like, I yeah. had to go to New Hampshire to get to get one. Okay, so Drew talks about uh, filming a movie uh, in Brackettville, Texas, a little small town. It's, a, you know, she's filming an all-female western, so this would uh, end up being the 1994 film Bad Girls. I believe Madeline Stowe is the lead in that movie. This is a movie that Roger Ebert would describe as a good idea, but a sad movie. <laughs> <laughs> I guess uh, she they gave her a uh, convertible they rented for her during this time. So she talked a lot about that with Conan and driving down the country roads. And, you know, but if she did live there, she would have missed the uh, 7-Elevens. And Conan looks to camera and he's like, don't we all? Don't we all? Which is pretty funny. <laughs> But uh, that that was it for Drew's appearance on the show. He thanks her for being a guest on the show. And we go to commercial once again. Now, when we return, Conan's third guest, Tony Randall, is now already seated on stage. Now, what was cut here was a doctored black and white photo of a panda holding a baby in its mouth. Uh, a, a baby panda, I should mention. Not a baby. <laughs> <laughs> Don't not to worry. Uh, but Conan's face is superimposed over the baby panda's face. It's just, it's just just weird doctored photos that they used to go in and out of commercial for. Uh, also cut here because we didn't see Tony's entrance to the stage. Also cut here was uh, Conan introducing Tony as someone who made over a thousand talk show appearances. So they figured they'd better get someone who knows what they're doing. Tony very seriously walked onto the stage. Conan welcomes him. Uh, Conan quickly sits down and then he looks and he realizes Tony is still standing. You know, very slow to get to the stage and still standing there. So he apologizes and kind of jumps up, waiting first for Tony to sit down before he does. And uh, Tony says, well, that's one thing you've done, right? And Conan <laughs> replies, ouch. And then Tony was like, no, I didn't mean that. You can see, you know, Conan was a little nervous. This guy is uh, a pro. He's a legend. He a TV legend, yeah. for sure. Tony, Tony Randall from Gremlins 2, The New Batch. <laughs> I hate that movie. The vo- <laughs> There's a voice of Brian Gremlin, I believe. The brain, yeah. Classic, classic times for him. 
Tony Randall was a longtime television actor, uh, best known for the role of Felix Unger on the TV sitcom The Odd Couple. Uh, here, as we see him in this episode, he is 73 years old, and unfortunately he passed away at the age of 84 on uh, May 17th, 2004. You know, we John Goodman mentions his daughter. He has a daughter already that's three years old. Uh, Tony had no kids until he got remarried following his wife's passing. And uh, he ended up having two children, one in 1997 and one in 1998. Wow. Good. Tony says that it's an honor to be a guest on Conan's first show. Uh, not so great an honor as to be the first guest. We, we cut to a shot <laughs> of Andy and John Goodman, Drew Barrymore seated together. And John's just kind of twiddling his thumbs and looking away. He's still got that giant gold medallion that says first guest on it. <laughs> <laughs> And I don't know about you guys, I was watching this and I'm like, oh yeah, you know, the previous guests used to just slide down the couch. Yep. Yep. It didn't matter how big of a name they were, that was it. You know, they all just kind of sat around and, you know, occasionally would chime in and really be a fun talk show, you know, but you don't get that anymore. It was just pretty funny to see a wide shot and there's Tony Randall, Drew Barrymore, John Goodman. They don't um, do it anymore? It doesn't happen that much anymore, no. Hmm. Yeah, you get a big name like George Clooney or whatever, and he's like the first guest, obviously, because he's the biggest name. And then he's there to promote a movie, and they go to commercial, and when they come back, they'll introduce the second guest, and the first guest is gone. You know, and I, not to call out George Clooney, because I don't know if he's one of the ones that does that. For all I know, he's one of the ones that slides down the couch. But I'm just saying, usually the big movie star is the one that comes in first, and they're gone. Yeah, because I thought of that, because I noticed that... They, they, it was all of them on the couch, but I didn't know if it was because it's the first episode or if that's what they did at that time. Uh, they definitely did it for, for a while. Yeah, it was like a tradition. You know, you saw it all the time on The, the Tonight Show with Johnny Carson and uh, The Tonight Show with Jay Leno and Late Night with David Letterman. But, uh, you know, just over the years, it kind of turned into this thing where, you know, this was a stop on a promotional tour or whatever, and they just, they were busy and they had to keep going. They couldn't stick around for the entire hour. I kind of miss that. Now, what uh, Tony Randall mentions about, you know, he he's not the first guest, of course, but he, he's still dressed up for the occasion regardless. And we should mention he's wearing a tuxedo jacket and a bow tie. And, you know, Co Conan nervously jokes that, you know, what he's wearing is dressing up to his generation. And, uh, <laughs> you know, Conan's wearing a nice suit for his first appearance. But uh, Tony does not crack a smile at all. And Conan was just kind of laughing, saying, you're not amused by me at all, are you? And uh, <laughs> no. Tony replies, like, I'm certainly amused by your clothes. <laughs> Tony, yeah, Tony's not giving him anything. And of course, he's just, you know, completely deadpan for this this interview. It's really funny. And uh, yeah. Tony does not crack a smile at all. Conan's just, you know, kind of squirming in his seat a little bit. And he asks... Tony, you know, what do you think of the show so far? And, and Tony admits, well, he thought the leg wrestling was clever. And uh, he jokes that he thought, as all of America did, you know, if I had my own show, that's what I would put on. But, uh, you know, he, he tells Conan something interesting here. He says that it's better to amuse himself than pander to an audience. And, and I think that was definitely sincere. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Uh, later on, he would tell Conan that by sticking by his guns and and because of it, you know, he'll be bound to succeed. It, you know, very, very prescient advice. You know, Conan would ultimately succeed time and time again by sticking to his guns, you know, doing his own thing. And that's what made him stand out and made his show very special. Now, uh, you know, we talked a little while ago about those framed pictures behind 
Conan, you know, on the set, Conan asks Tony, you know, what do you think of the set? And he appreciates the, the framed photos, especially Joe Franklin. And so they kind of cut to show it. Now, have you guys ever heard of Joe Franklin? No. No. He was a, a longtime TV broadcaster. And I mean, long time. His uh, talk show, the, the Joe Franklin show, ran for 43 consecutive years, which is wow. a Guinness record. Yeah. He was a longtime broadcaster out of the New York area. He, he did end up appearing on Late Night. Actually, the, the 12th episode. He, he was there only, only uh, two weeks later. And then he returned in 1996 for the show's third anniversary. So, you know, Conan had this reverence for the old-time broadcasters, the old pros. And uh, so that was definitely one of them. Now, a weird side note about Joe Franklin. He once reportedly filed a lawsuit against Uncle Floyd, who was a, a comedic radio host in the New York area. And uh, Uncle Floyd had a character called uh, Joe Frankfurter. And so that was like his parody of Joe Franklin. And so Joe Franklin I, I reportedly sued him for this parody. Anyway, Uncle Floyd's real name was Floyd Vivino. And if Vivino sounds familiar, it's uh, the, the also the name of uh, Jimmy and Jerry from the Max Weinberg 7. So it was just kind of weird that uh, the guy on the framed picture behind Conan ended up suing the older brother of two of his band members. <laughs> okay, so... Like I mentioned, um, you know, Tony gave Conan this advice about sticking to his guns and he would succeed. And uh, Conan jokingly asked for a big hand, you know, just just joking around. But the crowd, along with Tony, then Andy, John Drew, they all give Conan this standing ovation. And, uh, <laughs> yes, just like that. Conan tries to be humble. He tries to dismiss the applause, but it continues and he sends the show out to commercial. Now, it should be noted, uh, Tony did make a return appearance to the show in 1998, honoring Conan's fifth anniversary, appearing with the late night character Pimp Bot 5000. <laughs> <laughs> Just champagne comedy. <laughs> Okay, so we go on to commercial break. Now, what was cut here as the band played in from commercial was a doctored black and white photo of uh, Richard Nixon shaking hands with Elvis. But it wasn't Elvis. It was actually Conan's face on Elvis's body. So that, that answers your question. <laughs> yes. Ah, <laughs> oh, Photoshop. Very nice. That, that answers your question earlier, Hamish. What does he think he's Elvis? And yeah, he does think he's Elvis. Good. All right, Good. So so when we return... <laughs> Uh, Conan is now at center stage in front of a magenta-colored curtain uh, with light piano music playing. He speaks some words to the audience, and uh, he says he doesn't want to discourage people from watching Bob Costas after his show, but he knows a lot of viewers are insomniacs, and his beautiful singing voice can help them get some sleep. And so he begins to sing Edelweiss from The Sound of Music. <laughs> I, Yeah, I don't know. It, it, it was one of those bits where it... Didn't really do anything for me, but the ending part was pretty funny. Yeah, it was weird. You know, Conan singing, it, it's going on and on, and he's, you know, playing it straight, singing the song. Uh, we see extras from The Sound of Music. We next see John Goodman, Drew Barrymore. They're both crying. John's dabbing his tears with his tie. Tony Randall walks on stage singing the song along with Conan. <laughs> Conan immediately like is like no 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 stop yeah <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> but it's pretty funny um I noticed here just watching this episode like wow this is probably the first time you really see the height differential 
between yeah, Conan yeah. and most of his, his guests. Like, he is way taller than Tony Randall. I, I suppose you saw it when they shook hands early on, but really standing side by side like that, it's like, oh, wow. So, yeah, Tony wants to sing the next verse. Conan, you know, makes him walk off stage. But uh, now we've reached the end of the show. Conan thanks all of his guests, says that he's had a terrific time. He hopes the viewers come back, and he gives one final thanks. And so Conan next dances in just this wacky style to the closing music of the show. <laughs> there was some applause like that, yes. Now, the, the, yeah. the closing theme of this show, this is called Cornell Knowledge. This was a, uh, a piece written by Jimmy Vivino from the Max Weinberg 7. And this is the, uh, the closing theme, you know, throughout the run. Now, as Conan continues to dance, I don't know, did you guys take a, a look at the closing credits here? I tried to follow it, but I didn't, nothing really stood out. There's a couple notable names here, just a few that I picked out. Uh, Lorne Michaels, the executive producer, obviously we mentioned from Saturday Night Live. Um, Jeff Ross and Robert Smigel, longtime producers of the show. Uh, if you looked at the writers, there's Louis C.K., uh, more infamous than famous right now. Um, he was also the show's first stand-up comedian, performing in the 21st episode. Uh, we also see Bob Odenkirk. This is two years yeah. before Mr. Show, 16 years before Breaking Bad. And uh, also uh, Dino Stamatopoulos, who many know as Starburns from Community. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, he's also obviously a prolific comedy writer. So it's, it's kind of interesting to see Bob Odenkirk and uh, Dino Stamatopoulos, you know. Big, big parts of the show from the very beginning. Uh, as the uh, credits continue to scroll, we see the camera shots go from the stage to the back of the audience all around the studio. John Goodman's standing tall and proud holding up that gold medal. And uh, like you, Sarah, I was wondering, you know, I wonder if, what happened to it if he still has it. We'll have to ask him. Uh, we'll just pick up the phone. Give yeah. him a call. <laughs> Easy. Go for it. Yeah, call him. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Let me, I don't have a sound effect for that one, unfortunately. <laughs> it's it's going to cost us a lot of money to get John Goodman on the phone. Especially long distance. <laughs> we also see, I don't know if you guys watched, you know, in the later seasons of, uh, you know, the, the TBS show, but Bill Tull, does that name ring a bell The uh, from the prop department? Oh, that recur rec recurring um, segment they have with Bill Tull's... Was it he like Halloween costumes or anything like that? Any type of props. It would be really funny. Yeah. Like, he'll show you how to make cheap props at home. Like, oh, you know, like an right. Okay, yeah. yeah. With like, boom, whatever. Yes, yeah. exactly. <laughs> I, I believe one was an action figure to uh, stuck to the top of a tuna can and he spray painted it gold and he's like, boom, trophy. You know, like that kind of thing. <laughs> <laughs> I was surprised to see there's Bill Tull's name with the prop department from the very first episode of Late Night. So he's, he's another one that's been with Conan from the very beginning. So that was cool to see. But uh, the show finishes with the logo for Lorne Michaels' Broadway video, which you would see for the entire run, the logo of NBC Productions. And that is the end of the very first episode of Late Night with Conan O'Brien. So what did you guys think upon watching this for the podcast? Well, what did you think of these segments, these interviews? What's your overall impression? Um, I enjoyed it. I, as kind of awkward and clunky as it was every now and then, it, it was definitely really fun to watch. I had seen this episode before, but it was, you know, many, 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 many years ago. Um, and it was fun. You could see like the, you know, the camaraderie that he had with Andy right off the bat and just seeing Goodman kind of just 
playing along with it, you know, it was an awesome way to start it off. Mm. And it, I liked, you know, Tony Randall just kind of playing it straight and, you know, giving him advice, but almost kind of intentionally giving him, a, you know, the new guy a hard time as yes. well. Um, <laughs> it, it was very, very funny. I liked it as well. It was kind of rough at times, but I mean, for the very first episode and being 1993, it seemed fitting. But you could see where the show is now, how it started, and some of those things, it, it was great. I personally disliked it. I didn't like the way it was all filmed. I didn't like the people in it. The set was garbage. Uh, so I'm just, I'm just waiting for any anybody to say that. Just the divisive kind Why of didn't they film it in HD? Yeah, Why yeah. wasn't it in HD? The graphics were terrible. It was like they're using fax machines. That guy who was in charge, Conan, ridiculous name. You know. No, I, th I think it was good. I think, you know, for, for a first show, you know, at that time, yeah, it, it was really establishing a certain flavor. And, you know, it's always risky, especially when you introduce something new and like Conan's style of comedy. You know, it, it, it's interesting to try and get that across to people, especially when they don't really know him that well and, you know, trusting people will actually enjoy it. You know, I think it's good. You know, it's, you have to kind of try different things. I think at the time Conan's show is, you know, would have been seen as remarkably fresh. And new. Yeah, because, I mean, it, just trying to follow in the steps of Letterman, you almost have to do something completely different because you can't fill those shoes, you know? You, you have to do something that's mm. a little different, you know what I mean? Mm. Yeah, and Letterman gave his endorsement to Conan. You know, he, he appeared as an early guest on the show. Yep. You know, even though he was on a rival network, he did make that appearance to kind of give Conan his blessing, you know, taking over his old show. But uh, yeah, I loved I loved watching this. I've always loved watching Conan, and you know, like like Sarah said, it's a little rough. But you know, this is where they were kind of learning, you know, as they were going along, and it's really neat to see the very first episode and you know how how everything took shape from there. But uh, just as a little epilogue to our coverage here, uh, with the first episode over now, uh, the reviews came in, and they were not the best. Lon Granke of the Chicago Sun-Times described Conan as nervous, unprepared, and generally geeky. Well, duh. <laughs> you know, he was. I mean, you know, for the most part, he seemed a little nervous and not unprepared, but he seemed a little nervous. Mm -hmm. And yeah. the general geekiness was just kind of part of his persona, which this was something new. This was a, a, a different type of host. A lot of people were not used to it. Tom Shales was very uh, annoyed by uh, Conan's constant nervous fidgeting, calling him a living collage of annoying nervous habits. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, it it was a little distracting during, you know, the opening monologue. You could see where he would look down a lot, you yep. know, and touch the cuffs. That eventually went away, but oh, the very first episode. He also, this is really mean, he criticizes Conan's appearance, saying he has beady little eyes like a rabbit, calls him one of the whitest men ever. <laughs> Which that kind of Conan <laughs> makes those jokes anyway. Like he had uh, the Pale Force. I was going to mention, yeah, eventually him and Jim Gaffigan would, would have a cartoon show called Pale Force that aired on the show. You can actually buy Pale Force in its entirety on DVD now, by the way. <laughs> hmm. But uh, also there was a, a review in the New York Times entitled O'Brien Flops, in which the author wrote, frankly, I was not impressed. That author was Conan O'Brien himself. <laughs> <laughs> Again, we talk about the self-deprecating humor. It just kind of would be a hallmark of the show. And, you know, right off the bat, you know, Conan just playing into, yeah, yeah, sure. You know, 
here's my take on it as well. That's pretty funny that he would write a review. <laughs> I know, I love that. Uh, some reviews, however, uh, praise the originality and the high quality of the comedy. Uh, Robert Smigel was also credited for a lot of this. Uh, the network, as we mentioned, they were not that confident as the show started. And as the show began, that confidence did not strengthen. Uh, Conan was reportedly only signed to short 13-week contracts. And one was even for six weeks. And he was almost fired more than once during this time. But finally, the tide had turned in August 1994 as the ratings improved. Big names started appearing on the show, like Tom Hanks was a regular guest. And uh, now it became a critical success. Uh, as we mentioned, Late Night with Conan O'Brien would go on to last 2,725 episodes, spanning almost 16 years. That's crazy. Now, the show ended following Jay Leno's retirement from The Tonight Show and the job being given to Conan. Unfortunately, this brilliant Tonight Show run was very short-lived. Uh, network pressure complicated by Leno's unretirement led to a very, very messy situation. This is another massive and complicated story. We obviously don't have the time to cover it all here, so just like I recommended a Bill Carter book to fill in on the uh, the Leto Letterman situation, I have to recommend another Bill Carter book to fill you in on the Leno Conan situation, a book entitled The War for Late Night. So this is kind of the sequel to The Late Shift, and man, this is a fascinating read. And a very interesting book. If you're kind of interested in seeing, like, what happened there with, remember the Jay Leno show? Did you guys watch that when it came <laughs> back? Nope. No. I heard about it. But I've never been a Leno fan. Yeah. I was always Letterman. Yeah. For me, I would always tune in to, uh, to Letterman and then switch over to Conan. What did you guys think of uh, Conan's Tonight Show? I enjoyed it. Yeah, that was, a, that was such a great show. But before those Tonight Show episodes, it was weird to have the Jay Leno show. Hamish, you would probably know, uh, Jay Leno had uh, two Australian radio DJs do bits on his show, Hamish and Andy. Yes. You a fan what of What was theirs? it like being on the Jay Leno <laughs> show? <laughs> <laughs> I'm basically saying, yes, I do. But it's like, I, I, we actually, I think we ha did have the Jay Leno show here in Australia, um, just for the, simply that fact of having Hamish and Andy pop up. And Hamish and Andy did have a very, I would say maybe two series of a kind of late night show well not a late night show just like a night show because it wasn't like you know 11 o'clock at night anyway your question was do i know about these two people yes <laughs> my long-winded long-winded way of coming around to saying yes i do know these people did you get the tonight show down there with conan o'brien did you like that yeah we did i mean i like that it was like very fresh it was very much a new polished uh show to have because again like you know having something like that pop up on regular TV down here is really good uh, because unfortunately we don't really have any late night TV shows of our own anymore which I don't know if it's odd uh, or that we uh, just can't be bothered doing anything like that <laughs> uh, we have a lot more satirical shows a lot of um, political satirical TV programs these days yeah. multiple shows with Sean McAuliffe I, I could just talk about him forever actually here's the thing talk about the difference between Different types of shows. When Sean had his scripted TV show and then went, actually got a live TV show, which went, was on Channel 9, it was very much like Conan's show. Like, you'd do bits, uh, you know, little non-sequiturs. Like, you'd also have, like, at the beginning of his show, he had, like, his first day at Channel 9 where he'd be going through, you know, the offices and all this crazy stuff would happen. And, like, at one part, he had this well-known... Uh, weather woman i think lavinia nixon and, he, and she's also a reporter as well he's like all right let's cut live to lavinia nixon on the roof and lavinia how is it up there and she's like it's really cold up here and he's like well 
Yes, it is. And he cuts back to him and it's like, they'll teach you for steering my car park. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, if you ever go online, you find, um, uh, as, as McAuliffe tonight, you can see that it, it's very much kind of like Conan's show. Um, unfortunately, it wasn't very well received. Uh, it got cancelled. So yeah, it, it's interesting to see a show like Conan's pop up. I mean, we still have his show at the moment uh, on TV. And it's interesting because when he came out, he, he looked very polished. Like, he did not look like a schlubby guy who was just doing lowbrow comedy. Yeah, I hate yeah. to say that. He, he had, like, a proper nice suit. Everything was, like, very clean. Everything was very well designed. It's like, wow. You know, you think he finally got what he deserved. So, yeah, I mean, that, that Tonight Show run, I just, I found it brilliant. It was so great. But, uh, you know, it was just one of those things where an audience was so used to one type of host for so long that when they moved to this you know, new host with, you know, it's almost like the same situation over again, where here's Conan coming out in 1993, a fresh new type of humor. Well, a mass audience was experiencing this again in 2009 with Conan coming in the place of Jay Leno. And it just wasn't as well received. And uh, unfortunately, that marriage between Conan and NBC uh, ended. And uh, fortunately, though, Conan, you know, made his return to TV. He landed on TBS where he's been uh, since November 2010. As mentioned earlier, in 2019, Conan's talk show takes a new form as a scaled-down 30-minute show. But that isn't Conan O'Brien's only recent venture into a different talk format. On November 19th, 2018, Conan launched a podcast entitled Conan O'Brien Needs a Friend, in which Conan interviews a celebrity guest with the purpose of finding out if they could actually become friends in real life you know, away from the cameras and the microphones that are usually associated with their conversations from his show. Like Tony Randall said, though, you know, Conan was going to stick to his guns and he was going to do what matters to him and not to his audience. And that's carried him all this way. And so it was just kind of interesting to see, uh, you know, where it all started 25 years ago. So uh, I was, you know, real happy that they made this available for us to watch. So I knew once they made the announcement, you know, we'll, it was like, oh, we have to watch this for the podcast. I think one of the issues I had when he took over Leno's spot, and I remember hearing this a lot, was that he was bringing in a younger audience. And the audience that would regularly watch Leno were of the older generation. And they're, you know, they're used to his humor. And so when Cohn came along, they're like, oh, look at this young man, relatively. Yeah, he's bringing, you know, talking about all these new things, these modern technologies, this crazy stuff. Talking about soap, I don't know. Um, but yeah, I don't know what their problem was, because he's just like, you know, obviously a younger guy. He brought in the younger generation of people who watched him, I guess, throughout college, and had followed him to onwards towards his career. Yeah, I just think it was like, very unfair, just for like the network themselves. They knew, like, they were the ones who knew what was going on, and they decided, oh, we'll put like Leno's show in front of his, and, uh, you know, we'll see what happens. And this whole situation was also um, used as a bit in uh, an episode of 30 Rock. It was basically they replaced the two people here with cleaners. Like one of them was called Konani, who was a cl <laughs> another cleaner who cleaned up the office. But they had another cleaner before him. I don't know if they used a sound like Leno or Jay name. I'm trying to remember it. But um, he was also hired as well because like, you know, they had to, I think, hire more stuff. And like he was sent earlier to clean up. And then Konani would go after him. And then they'd say, why are you hanging around the office? You seem unhappy. He's like, well, because when he goes ahead of me, there's no garbage for me to collect. So he gets all the garbage and I'm left with nothing. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, they made these kind of parallels 
in that episode, um, talking about the fact that, yeah, it was true. Because, like, you know, if Leno's doing the, you know, breaking stories of the day, you know, getting the, the main crop of people, and then, like, Conan comes on basically covering the same stuff, it's like, well, yeah, it's like, you know, who wants to hang around for two late-night shows? And plus, we'll see, his show got pushed even further to, like, was it one o'clock or something like that? Like, after a little bit after 12 or something? So it's nearly like the next day show. It wasn't a Tonight Show. They wanted to. That that was a, a big sticking point for Conan, as he talked about in many uh, interviews and stuff. It, they they wanted to. Okay, well maybe we can accommodate both. Uh, we could have Jay Leno move a little further, and then Conan can start the Tonight Show instead of eleven thirty five at maybe twelve oh five. And you know Conan mm-hmm. was like, no, this is the Tonight Show. He he had such a great respect and reverence for the institution of the Tonight Show that uh, mm. he, he was not going to stand to see it actually not even exist in that night of tonight. It was going to be like, you know, in the next morning, if you technically made it go past midnight, and he was not going to stand for that. And he, he would rather, you know, leave than, than see it drastically changed like that. You know, so mm. it was unfortunate. But, uh, you know, Conan on TBS, just it's it's so great that uh, another network took him in, and, and he's still just so funny, and the show is so great. It, it, for him to choose to leave you know it's it's a big huge decision especially when he wanted to be part of something for so long and then deciding to you know pick up all his stuff leave and then basically it was he, he when he did his tour for a while i think there's actually a documentary about it isn't there yeah. yes about his time between gigs and then you know for him to kind of go away especially for what he believed was what he wanted and then having having to step away from that yeah i mean like you have to kind of spend a lot of time reassessing exactly what you're after especially in his career yeah that, that documentary i just looked it up it's called conan o'brien can't stop and mm. uh, that came out in 2011 yeah i mean that's a uh, it's an interesting documentary to watch just because you can see the thought process of this you know of conan trying to i guess reassess uh, what he wants from late night and what he wants from himself because you know when he started doing those live shows they're fun look like a lot of fun it's still you know he's still he, he still has that energy for the you know presenting a live format kind of show yeah and, and again read that book if you're interested the war for late night by bill carter uh just fascinating you know it talks a lot about jimmy kimmel and uh you know his involvement in in the goings-on and you know where every basically where all the other late night hosts kind of stood while everything was kind of in flux so very very fascinating and a lot of background on conan you know in his early life in chicago too Makes for uh, an interesting read, especially if you're a Conan O'Brien fan. All right, and that'll pretty much do it for this episode of Hitting Play. As always, you can email us with your comments, suggestions, any small town items, whatever you got for us at hittingplayshow at gmail.com. You can talk to us on Twitter at Hitting Play. Now, do you guys have anything you want to plug? Uh, well, you can find me on Twitter at uh, One Wall Cinema. You can find me on Twitter too, S1 Poster Wife. I like a bunch of baseball and wrestling stuff. Very good. And you can find me on the internet at Silent Hamish on Twitter, Instagram Silent Hamish, and a Facebook page, which I should really update. And I think I mentioned this before, but I haven't updated it because I keep getting sidetracked with cat videos. <laughs> it Silent Hamish art on Facebook. So you can find me there. Or, again, just look at cat videos. <laughs> That's right. Yep. So good. All right. Well, I'm on Twitter there. My name is at MC and Friends on Instagram, uh, MC and Friends, but with underscore separating the words. Uh, I also wanted to plug something uh, just for a little something extra. If you're interested in this topic, check out an episode in our archives where I talked to uh, former Conan intern Jeff DeSilva 
about his time working on the show and how it was a dream come true that almost didn't happen. And, uh, you know, Jeff obviously loved his time working on the show, so it was a blast getting to uh, talk to him about it. Now, uh, if you listen to us on iTunes, which is now Apple Podcasts, please subscribe and leave us a five-star review. It helps us out, and if you do, you'll get a shout-out on the show. For Android users... Well, we don't get any money from it. Uh, for oh, Android okay, users... Sorry. What was that? <laughs> we don't get money for it. Yeah, there you go. For Android users, we're also available to stream in or download on Stitcher. We can be found on TuneIn Radio and the Google Play Music app. So check us out on those platforms. And if you have a Roku device, you can download the TuneIn Radio channel, set Hitting Play as a favorite, and you can stream these episodes right through your television as they are released. (laughs) Uh, Well, we have been Sarah... Kevin. Oh, thank you. Thank you very much. Hamish. And Scott. Oh, okay. Yeah, sure, of course. <laughs> and this has been Hitting Play. Thank you so much for listening. <laughs> <laughs>